0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.
1: Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, Bill Morneau, the finance minister, is in the house. Thanks so much for being with us.
0: I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me
1: great. We really appreciate it. And uh, I'm very anxious to get into all the financial issues that affect our audience. But first, uh, I'd be a little remiss if I didn't ask about uh, the uh, story that everyone is preoccupied with, which is, of course, uh, the allegations that the former justice minister was pressured to make a deal with SNC-Lavalin, the Quebec Giant. So, um, I guess that for our listeners, that's it's like a, another reason not to trust the government. What do you say to those people?
0: I don't really think there's very much of a story here. What uh, what's pretty clear? What the prime minister has said is there was no direction given to the attorney general to take a decision. Uh, what, of course, is the case is in any discussion around a. A big organization like SNC-Lavalin, we're always going to be concerned to make sure that we have a a robust discussion. But uh, that's the nature of government. We're trying to do what's best for Canadians. And uh, the Prime Minister clearly said there's no direction to the Attorney General. So, you know, from my perspective, uh, there's not a whole lot to discuss.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, the, the provision that would have allowed them to avoid prosecution was in your budget bill.
0: That's right. It was something called a deferred prosecution uh, arrangement. And that's, that's an approach to dealing with uh, issues for uh, corporations that, uh, that find themselves offside. That's common. I mean, it's in the United States, it's in the United Kingdom, it's in France, it's in Australia. So from my perspective, uh, it's something that we had consulted on in 2017 and, and uh, put into budget 2018.
1: Okay, we'll move on then. Uh, you've just finished a big round of budget consultation. So is there anything that you found that is an overriding concern or an overriding item that Canadians want to see in the next budget?
0: I think it's, it's really hard to get into specifics because I hear so many things from, from different constituents across the country. But what I can say is the overall sense of anxiety, the, the driving force for us when we came into office in 2015, middle-class anxiety, it's still there. I mean, we've done a lot of things over the last three and a half years, but, but people continue to feel anxious about the future. So that just leads us to conclude that we need to think about how we ensure people have optimism about the future uh, based on how their families are doing. Uh, so a lot, a, in large part... Things I've been hearing are consistent.
1: Okay, but there's no there's no particular budget measure that will make them feel less anxious.
0: Well, of course there will be, and so uh, yeah, I'm. For sure not going to uh, yeah, go through the budget no. line by line today. Of course. But what I can tell you no, big picture uh, people they, they're worried about the job market. They worry, even though we're in a record situation in terms of, of unemployment, people are anxious about the future. They want to know that they're resilient to deal with what's coming later. So we've heard concerns around how do I make sure I have the skills for retraining or for whatever my next job might be. We continue to hear concerns around housing in places In particular, like Vancouver and Toronto, where uh, millennials worry about how they can potentially get a house. Older people, too. Older people too, uh, for sure. We yeah. we always hear uh, issues around uh, seniors who are looking towards their future and want to make sure that they're able to deal with you know challenges, including housing, including you know cost of living. Uh, so there's multiple things that come up in a in a set of budget consultations. But I, again, I'd come to that overarching theme that people see that the the world is more volatile than it was a generation ago, and they want to be ready to face up to that challenge.
1: Now, uh, we serve an older demographic. We're affiliated with CARP, A New Vision of Aging, and, and they came out with their advocacy plan for this budget, and it centers around financial security, help for caregivers, abuse prevention, and health care, of course, and social inclusion. Um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big basket, of things, um, do you have a view on which of those areas uh, is most urgent from your point of view?
0: I think I uh, I wouldn't want to say which one is most urgent from my perspective because I think we need to take the feedback from from groups like CARP and and listen hard. What I can say is not all of them are directly in the federal government's ability to to impact. Uh, so as I look at you know what are the things that that we can do to help make sure seniors or older people are doing well, I, I look at what we've done over the past few years and say that you know we've made some differences and we need to continue to think about how we can. So the, the increase in the guaranteed income supplement for single seniors had a big impact on a, on a pretty large cohort of seniors who weren't doing very well, so that's important. The big picture items, though, are uh, are things like making sure that the old age security and the guaranteed income supplement are available at age sixty five, which we we moved to change that from what the Harper government had done to move it to sixty seven. So moving it back was important. And of course, the big thing that's going to make a, a, an important difference over the long term is our agreement to enhance the Canada Pension Plan, so that uh, future seniors have more resiliency in in the face of of raising uh, costs of living, because they actually just have more uh, pension income from the government?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of items. Uh, so caregiving is huge. Uh, and caregivers save the government vast amounts of money. Uh, the burden falls on women, more than on men. And uh, I know that you've made it a little easier to access the, uh, that tax, uh, the, the tax refund. But a lot of people are saying it really should be a, a refundable credit because there are a lot of people they have to at least cut back their hours or stop working in order to be able to do this.
0: Well, those are the sorts of things that—that's what goes into a budget. We we need to look at ideas like that and think about: Are they going to have a broad enough application to impact a lot of people? How much does it cost, and does the benefit? Um, does the benefit have enough of an impact that we should consider that? So, so those are the things that we look at. We do get those sorts of requests and ideas, and we look at them alongside you know other issues that would also have a broader application. And so, the, those are. By definition, going to be on my uh, on my desk as we as we consider what we're going to do.
1: As part of that uh, caregiving piece, uh, Canada committed to a dementia strategy, uh, but it's not funded, and the numbers are are staggering. There are over half a million people now affected by dementia. It's going to go up to uh, nearly a million in 15 years or so and the alzheimer's society has made an ask of a, of a 150 million over five years i mean it's 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 a big ticket item mm. but most other g7 countries have made the commitment
0: well i think these are this is an important thing for us to think about we've yeah. we've been really from day one uh, thinking about what are the issues around mental health that we need to focus on as a government. So, you will have seen when we came to new health care accords with the provinces, we put part of the funding against uh, mental health funding and asked the provinces to focus on that. Uh, of course, that does reflect the division of, of uh, responsibilities in our country where provinces are responsible for the delivery of health care. We have an important role, but uh, ideas like the idea brought forward. By the Alzheimer's Society, are important for us to consider. We do see this issue as one that's uh, important, it's growing, and uh, presenting real challenges. So, that's again the sort of thing that we're, we're listening hard to people to understand the issue. Uh, we always, though, then try to think about what are the ways that we can be engaged that can make a difference. So, there'll be and at my desk, there'll be more than one proposal. So that will be one proposal, but there'll be other ideas that are trying to get at the same challenge. Uh, and we have to think about all those different ways.
1: I mean, in a general way, I'm looking at the population. So we have, um, you know, and I don't believe in generational warfare, but on on the one hand, we have uh, a huge cohort of baby boomers that are getting older and and there will have to be a whole revamping of a lot of things to deal with that. And on the other hand, you have millennials, boomers' children often, who feel that they aren't getting the same chances at a good standard of living as their parents had. How do you balance those and and again, where do you see, you know, a longer term view of how to deal with an aging population?
0: We don't have the luxury of just looking at any one cohort of people. We really do need to think about about how our financial decisions impact everybody. We're trying our best to look at uh, impacts on the broad cross-section of people. I'll take housing, for example. When we thought about housing, we really thought about three different parts of the housing uh, market. We thought about Uh, affordable housing and how challenging it is for people, especially people in lower incomes, to get access to homes or to rental properties. So we put significant funding there and that included a directed Portion towards funding housing that would be available for seniors that are in a challenging situation uh, when we look at the funding for uh, dealing with the challenge of millennials getting into housing, you know we need to think about you know broadly what are the issues that they 're facing how do we how do we consider both the the challenge of them getting into housing but also the fact that we don 't want the Demand for housing to go up in such a way that prices go up, which would actually uh, present more problems. And finally, the the issue around the rising price of, of houses in places like Vancouver and Toronto that we uh, we addressed. We're really thinking about how does the how does the market go in a direction that can present real problems for the stability of the housing market that can impact people who already have homes who who want to make sure that their investment is protected. Many of whom would be, uh, you know, people that are at a at, at a later stage in their life. So, so we have to look at it from all those different segments of society. Similarly, for any of our initiatives going forward, we're, we're not trying to direct just our efforts to, to one cohort. We, ha- we have to be responsible against all of people's challenges.
1: But um, in, just in terms of, uh, you know, an aging population versus the younger population, do you see that you have to sort of take care of one before the other?
0: I think we need to do both. I, I, you know, the reason we vary at the very front of our um, uh, mandate, we started with things that we knew were going to have a big impact on both. We, we that guaranteed income supplement that was important. It was right at the beginning of our mandate, mm-hmm. as was the increase in the Canada Child Benefit. So those did address the guaranteed income supplement addressed single seniors. the Canada Child Benefit addressed families who are raising their kids. The Canada Pension Plan Enhancement addressed, you know, people that are looking towards their retirement. So realistically, people that that still had some more years of work in front of them. So those are, in a way, three different cohorts that we all, uh, we recognize that those were all important groups of people, and we're trying to deal with all three. I I think that's the only way we can come at it.
1: it, this is a, a question that I have. One of the things that is reported to be in the next budget is is some kind of pharmacare program or a commitment to a pharmacare program. So so here's what I'm wondering about this. Uh, you put in a carbon tax and you're seeing significant opposition from the provinces. It's going to be a major election issue. There's a big uh, court challenge. Uh, In terms of Pharmacare, Doug Ford here in Ontario has already said he doesn't think we can afford it. Is there a potential of that kind of conflict over something like Pharmacare and how would you deal with it?
0: Well, I think you sort of addressed two separate issues in that question, and I would like to go with both of those. So the first thing around putting a price on pollution. So we've been pretty clear that we think nationally it's important that we have a price on pollution. We've already had that in place across the country in different parts of the country. When you look at what's gone on in Quebec over the last number of years with their cap and trade system, or in British Columbia where they put a price on carbon both those two provinces have done well economically they've addressed our our carbon footprint in a way that's going to help our environment and and do positive things over the long term what we've said is we need to do that nationally We want to be really clear, though, for the people listening on this show, what we're doing is we're putting a price on pollution, but we're also giving a rebate to citizens. So in Ontario, for example, we will have a rebate to Ontario citizens that's equivalent to the amount of the price on pollution, meaning that people will have the money in their pocket and they'll be able to decide how to use it. So it's... It's important to recognize that we're doing that at the same time so people aren't impacted. The pharmacare approach, what we've said is there are two issues here. We need to think about the rising price of pharmaceutical products, and we need to think about the fact that we need to have everyone with access to pharmaceuticals. I don't think anybody believes that it's okay that some people don't have access or can't actually afford to fulfill the pharmaceuticals. And it ends
1: up costing the healthcare system huge amounts of money. It's
0: worse. So we don't see... uh, Uh, the issue in any way as uh, the same way as the Ontario government is seeing. We're saying we need to address both those issues. We've got an advisory committee that's going to present to us options on how we can move forward. And yes, to your question, we will inevitably need to have some negotiations with the provinces to make sure we get this right, because this is going to be a shared uh, area of jurisdiction. So there is going to be um, some discussion of this. I hope in the budget we haven't got a final report from the advisory committee yet, so we're still uh, working in that regard. Uh, but it will be an ongoing goal of our government to make sure we have universal access to pharmacare, and uh, that we think Canadians are absolutely on board with. I,
1: I, I think I mean the only objections I've heard are the money. But a, a, again, you know, with uh, you have a, a bunch of conservative premiers who are kind of lining up against the government and things are becoming an election issue. I do think so
0: those, whether they're conservative or liberal or NDP premiers, I think we all share the goal of having all Canadians have access to pharmaceuticals. It's an important part of our healthcare system. We're talking about finding a way to make sure that it's uh, cost effective yeah. and that everybody has access. And, the, and without su- succeeding in those two objectives, we will be left with, with a problem. And I, I think that that's, uh, that's, not, that's not acceptable to leave that on the table.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the other interesting thing to me is that your committee is headed up by the former provincial health minister, Eric Hoskins, and uh, the previous liberal government set up a pharmacare plan that is widely considered as the most idiotic way to start, which covering children who mostly don't need it, as opposed to, I mean, the cohort that is most affected by a lack of pharmacare is is 55 to 64 before they're covered by provincial plans?
0: Well, we've been really clear to the committee that uh, that we want to really understand how we can get at dealing with universal coverage in our country. So... Um, the fact that, that Eric uh, was, was involved in Ontario was important because he ex- has experience and background. He's also got a committee with people from, with expertise from across the country, people who have a strong understanding of how it's going to impact uh, all different groups of Canadians, both from a geographic standpoint as well as you know, from an age and stage basis. So I'm looking forward to getting that report. And we're, again, we're going to work hard on delivering on those two objectives, cost-effective and universal coverage.
1: Yeah, and and the other thing I wanted to ask about, I mean, you know, there's been lots of talk about bulk buying and all of those things, but uh, how do you have a mechanism so it doesn't, again, become a provincial versus federal jurisdiction kind of issue that ends up costing taxpayers more money?
0: We have more work to do. Again, I haven't, I haven't seen the report back, but I think we understand that, and that there's no solution here that doesn't include us making sure that it's cost-effective today and tomorrow. That, that's a, a goal we need to satisfy. So we'll be looking carefully at the report's recommendations in order to try to come up with a path that makes sense.
1: Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And after that, we'll be back with more with Finance Minister Bill Morneau. Back after this.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. I am here with Finance Minister Bill Morneau, and we are talking about all the issues that will be dealt with in the upcoming federal budget. Uh, The word is March 18th, somewhere around there.
0: Well, we haven't yet nailed a date, so I'm not going to announce here today until we we get it. Uh, we get it sure, but we're obviously working to uh, to bring it forward as soon as we can.
1: Okay, I'd like to ask you about another issue that is set to become a big election issue. I think uh, it's not entirely in your jurisdiction, and that is the asylum seekers, uh, and uh, a lot of people are upset about that. Uh, largely because of the cost and the money it takes away from other priorities. Here in Toronto, $11 million was delivered. You've promised another $15 million. The mayor says that's a good start, but uh, Torontonians are going to be out another $45 bucks, And we're not the only city that's complaining about that. So where does that fit in the mix, and how does that take away from other things that might be on your to-do list?
0: It's, it's important, obviously, that we, we make sure we listen to Canadians' concerns around, around every issue. I, of course, in my position, uh, am very much focused on how do we make sure that the long-term health of the Canadian economy is, uh, is strong. So that brings me towards thinking about demographics. We obviously have a uh, challenge that we have uh, an increasingly aging population. We need to make sure that we have not only the ability to uh, make sure everybody who's in Canada has a successful opportunity to get a job, but also that we bring in people from other countries. So I am focused on the importance of immigration and our successful ability to integrate Canadians into a, a very healthy economy. We're in a good situation in that regard. I mean, obviously, uh, with the very, very positive job situation in our country. I mean, we're at or near 40-year lows in terms of unemployment. Uh, We do need to think about, you know, making sure that we have an ability to continue to invite people to our country. The asylum issue, though, is is a difficult one, and and I'll acknowledge that it's it's a difficult one because we uh, we've obviously seen an increase in the number of people that are that are coming to this country seeking asylum. Our goal will be to address that properly, to make sure that there's the appropriate level of funding to deal with the issue, and also to continue to uh, inform people, especially people that are looking towards this path from other countries, that that's not uh, that's not the appropriate way to come to Canada. So we've we've had. Had, we've had some good impact on that. We've actually had people go to other parts of the world to say, "No, if you're applying to come to Canada, you should apply through the immigration process, and that's that's the right way to do it."
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are ostensibly coming from the United States. Uh, again, I mean, uh, from what we hear on this show, it's people who are new Canadians themselves seem to be most upset because they went through the process and and uh, if you look over there at Lamport Stadium there is a 1.2 million dollar temporary shelter and there's you know there's pressure to house you know Canadians here because the, uh, the asylum seekers are taking up so many resources so uh, can John Tory count on uh, another check from you to cover the whole amount or is this just something that the cities are going to be stuck with
0: We've been really clear. We want to work together with uh, with people like Mayor Tory and uh, with the provinces to make sure that we deal with this in a collaborative way. I think we've made real progress. Uh, I do always want to put this in context. I mean, this is this is an issue. We don't want to diminish it in any way. But the broader issue is that we've been a country that's been extremely successful in welcoming immigrants and creating a society that you know as i travel around the world that's really a beacon of hope and how you can create a diverse and successful country so we need to maintain that strength and deal with this issue uh, in a in an appropriate way so we we are working hard on that we're working hard and that includes you know my office making sure that we have the appropriate funding to deal with this issue both from a a border enforcement standpoint and from uh, you know dealing with the provinces and the cities to uh, address the short-term issues. I will say that uh, it's important to know that we are not uh, in any way uh, taking away from our longer-term strategy of dealing with the real issues facing Canadians. So we put in place a national housing strategy as an example that's an enormous strategy across the next decade to ensure we have enough affordable housing in the places where we have a real dearth of of, uh, supply. Uh, So we need to do more than one thing at the same time. That's always the challenge of government.
1: Have you costed out what this whole situation may cost Canada as a whole in the next few years?
0: We are, are uh, of course, always looking carefully at, at the costs and implications of, of, uh, of our immigration system broadly. So, yes, there's work being done in that regard.
1: Any number for us? Well...
0: Uh, what what I can say is that the big numbers are much more about how we make sure we have an immigration system that works, that we integrate people properly. That's where the biggest expenses are. We need to make sure we fund that properly. But I don't have any specific numbers in this area. I can say that we continue to work with the Quebec and the Ontario governments as well as the cities uh, to ensure that we, uh, we manage it appropriately.
1: Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, whether the money comes from you or from John Toria, there's, you know, one taxpayer.
0: Well, that's right. Uh, And that's, um, that's why we need to deal with the issue at its root. I mean, we've, we've been uh, very clear that we, we need to ensure that this, uh, the situation, the challenge uh, that we deal with at its root. So we've actually had people even go to the, the countries that are uh, the the countries where people are coming from to say you know look the, there's an appropriate way to apply for immigration in Canada, and in an inappropriate way. So we're we are working to make sure that we deal with the root causes as well as the uh, as the impacts of the challenge.
1: Okay, let's move on to uh, the deficit. Uh, campaign promise was that it the budget would be balanced by the end of the mandate, which is happening soon. And the Federal Finance Department says the date is now 2040-2041. Well,
0: let me just address what you just said. So that that, uh, that is really just a mathematical equation that the department comes out with each December. Uh, what what we 're really doing, and we've we 've been really clear on this is we've we 've said right from day one, we want to invest in Canadians. We think that the kinds of investments in the increase in the guaranteed income supplement or in in child benefits were really important for Canadians to deal with the anxieties they see in in raising their family or dealing with uh, their challenge as they as they get older. Those investments are going to continue. Our issue is making sure that we reduce the deficit each year and that we reduce the amount of debt overall each year. And that's what we're, that's exactly what we're doing. So I, I acknowledge that we, we uh, when we went into election, we were in a situation where there was a rapidly changing environment. You'll recall that uh, oil prices were plummeting at that stage. Uh, so the challenge was actually bigger than we thought. The impact of what we've done important to remember, we had a high unemployment rate at that time, 7.1%. We've brought it down significantly. We had a technical recession. We've actually had really strong growth. And we've been able to do that while moving the deficit as a function of the economy and the debt as a function of the economy down each year.
1: But much higher than you said it would be.
0: Well, but it's moving in the right direction. So really the question... And this is the the important question is, do you take the approach that some are advocating and and immediately balance the budget uh, using austerity and cuts to get there, or you do it in a gradual and balanced way that allows you to keep investing in Canadians, keep helping seniors to be uh, successful, keep helping families to be successful, but manage it down over time? And that's what we're achieving. Our view is that investing in Canadians is the right way to go. Ensuring our economy stays healthy is the right approach, and not to take the dramatic approach with cuts and austerity to get us there in a, a really rapid fashion, we think that would put us exactly back where we were in 2015 when we came into office, where we had higher levels of unemployment and we had lower growth. So taking a balanced and measured approach to this, we think, is is the right way to go. And uh, that's a path that I think uh, Canadians will have the opportunity to look at in the course of the next election. Do you take a balanced and, and careful approach to continuing to invest in Canadians? Or do you go for austerity and cuts with the inevitable ramifications of those decisions?
1: There are private sector economists, major ones, who say that the size of the deficit and the debt uh, would put us behind the eight ball, trying to deal with a major recession?
0: Well, I, you know, I think it's really important to evaluate mm-hmm. those claims. Canada has the lowest amount of debt as a function of its economy among G7 countries. So we're less than half of the average of those other countries, significantly lower than the United States, lower than, of course, Italy or France or the United Kingdom or Japan but also even lower than Germany. So we actually start in a very good position. And as long as we can continue to reduce that amount of debt as a function of our economy each and every year, we are resilient in the face of dealing with an eventual challenge. That's, that's the important thing that we're trying to ensure, investing in Canadians, but making sure we're ready for a challenge. And we think we've got the balance uh, pretty much right.
1: Speaking of the United States, um, Where are we at in terms of getting the trade agreement ratified and getting rid of some of those tariffs?
0: It's an important question. Uh, I, I've got to say that I think that the the conclusion we got to to get to a new NAFTA last fall was one of the really important milestones. Uh, so the work that, that all of us did together, but led by uh, Chrystia Freeland and the Prime Minister to get to that new agreement was really important. Uh, we do see that there's still some unfinished business. We do need to get at these uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum. I will tell you that we're all working on that. I've been working on it directly, as has my colleague Chrystia Freeland. Freeland, um, and I'd like to think that we're making some progress there, but it's not done. Similarly, we need to get the new NAFTA ratified. That's uh, straightforward in our country. There's a process that they're going through in the United States, and we're, uh, you know, we're expecting them to move forward in that process in a way that uh, a way that makes sense. Of course, they have a uh, a very uh, visible and, uh, you know, challenging ratification process. Uh, so we'll watch that with uh, with obviously intense interest, but we do think it's moving in the right direction.
1: What about those tariffs? I mean, everybody's heard what Donald Trump has to say, and it's all pretty unpredictable, a uh, bit of a circus. I think
0: it's important for us to to keep doing the work to present why they don't make sense. I mean, first of all, the Tariffs were put in place arguing that they are a security measure in the United States. Clearly, we are a U.S. ally, so that doesn't make sense from our perspective. Secondly, there's an idea that uh, they're somehow protecting the U.S. steel industry. Well, we have very balanced trade between our two countries. I mean, we import steel. Donald Trump
1: would argue that, (laughs) Well, it's, yeah. the, the facts
0: are the facts. Uh, well, are, yeah, it, is, but... it is balanced. So, uh, you know, the the best we can do is continue on those negotiations. They are ongoing. Um, I will I will tell you that I'm, I'm very hopeful that we will be able to get to a conclusion. I don't have a conclusion at this stage, so there's more work to be done. And we recognize that this is a broader issue. Uh, the broader issue is that whether it's in the United States, whether it's in the United Kingdom with Brexit, whether it's in France with the gilets jaunes, we're seeing – people around the world feeling anxious about uh... international trade about you know automation and globalization so we need to remember what we're trying to achieve broadly is to deal with that what I would call that anxiety. I think in Canada, we've been doing a pretty good job. We've, we've significantly lowered middle-class taxes. We've increased the child benefits. We've talked about the increase in the guaranteed income supplement. Dealing with the real anxieties people face, which means that they won't focus on things like trade as the enemy, because trade is actually a positive for all of our economies. But it's only positive people feel like they're benefiting from the advantages that an economy presents. That, I think, we've got a better balance in Canada than we're seeing in other countries. So the negotiations going to be tough. It, it always has been. Uh, but we're going to keep on it. And I, I hope and, and I would say, frankly, expect that we'll be able to make some progress.
1: Do you think that all those things you talked about are really going to prevent that type of, you know, call it populism? Uh, but you, you cited the anxiety the first thing when we sat down, and I certainly hear it here. So do you think all these these measures will avoid having to grapple with that?
0: the The only thing that we can do is to continue with our approach, which is to deal with the issues and challenges people are facing. So you asked, you know, what are measures in our budget that we need to think about? We need to think about how are people feeling against their their job challenges? You know, are are young people getting the kind of work experience as they go through university so they feel confident? Are people while they're working do they have the opportunity to prepare themselves for the new skills required in their job or or the new skills required in the next job? So we need to deal head on with the issues and not create a you know not say that we're blaming someone else we need to take it on ourselves so do i think we can make an impact absolutely have we made an impact we've seen consumer and business confidence increase over the last few years because we've actually helped families to be better off and you know the metrics are important so the the average family with two parents and two children in 2019 will be $2000 better off versus where they were in 2015 that 's really important it, it gives people more capacity to deal with the challenges that they face. those things we need to keep thinking about how we help people to feel better and it'll be a it'll be a day by day week by week month by month year by year challenge to give people that optimism so they 'll keep investing in themselves and their future that's that's our approach. we think it's working uh, we don 't think that the alternative approach of you know creating a scapegoat around trade or or immigration is the right approach.
1: That, excuse me, that average family, I'm not sure that's the average family anymore, but um, I think in general people are expecting, given that this is an election year, they're expecting uh, a lot of goodies in the budget. Is that is, is that what we should be expecting?
0: My uh, job, of course, is complicated by the fact that uh, you've asked me earlier about, you know, making sure we have fiscal responsibility mm-hmm. And uh, about the you know the proposals from various groups cool. that I get, so we do need to balance those two things off. There will be things that we're trying to achieve. We do want to make sure that people feel optimistic about the future. So there will be some thinking about that, some long-term direction that helps people to see where we're going. At the same time, we'll be uh, working to r- remain fiscally responsible. So balancing those priorities is is always the uh, the difficult and important part in a budget. Um, and, and then there'll be the specific issues that we think we need to address. Uh, so uh, not ready to announce the budget mm-hmm. quite yet, but I can assure you that we'll be thinking about all those things.
1: Okay. Finance Minister Bill Morneau, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Thanks very much. Appreciate Happy it. Here. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.